This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Susan teaches what she has learned and continues to learn about the miracle of healing that God gives to his children through their redemption in Christ, with emphasis on healing from the devastating and multi-layered damage from sexual assault and childhood sexual abuse. This miracle healing includes healing into wholeness. She shares information about life-changing therapies that are now available to assist and guide in healing processes. As a survivor of early childhood sexual abuse herself, she has suffered many of the issues she talks about. Susan has also had amazing healing from cutting-edge therapies, wonderful therapists, and through her Christian spirituality. Valeria interviews Susan Brunson, the author of Aftershocks, Healing PTSD from Sexual Assault and Childhood Sexual Abuse. Susan Brunson has 30-plus years experience working with trauma, sexual assault date rape, same-sex rape, gang rape, boy scout sexual abuse, priest clergy sexual abuse, incest, emotional neglect, physical and emotional abuse, domestic abuse, chronic bullying, natural disasters, military, first responders, police, deputies, firemen, EMT. Susan works well with PTSD, social anxiety, generalized anxiety, depression, bipolar, grief, postpartum, fertility issues, and self-esteem. She has been an EMDR therapist for 15 years. She is the daughter of an Air Force pilot father and has lived in and appreciated different countries. Susan works well multiculturally. Susan Brunson is a licensed clinical social worker with a master's in social work from Louisiana State University and has 30 plus years of experience as a therapist. She is currently in private practice on teletherapy in Texas and Alabama mental health centers, psychiatric hospitals, residential treatment for children and teens, a college professor in social work, graduate school grambling, a state university clinical supervisor in behavioral health clinics, program director and creator of clinical inpatient and outpatient programs, and professor speaker certified on John Maxwell team. Meet Susan at aftershockhealing.com and psychologytoday.com backslash us backslash therapists backslash susan dash brunson dash katie dash tx backslash 429847 here's the interview with susan brunson in your own words who is susan brunson I am a clinical social worker and have been for many years, and I am a healer. Um, my 
mission in life is my work, which is to have compassion for people who have been wounded in various ways and to use the most cutting edge uh, uh, helpful uh, techniques that I can to help them heal. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I have talked to you briefly off record about um, what a gift that is to be open to life to this extent, to heal yourself and then pass that on and yes. the message. So I guess the first question that comes to me is, what are some of the misconceptions about healing that we usually have? Um, I feel like most people uh, who aren't in the healing profession, uh, even, and even some of them who are, still have what I would call archaic thinking about uh, psychological healing, uh, mental health healing, spiritual healing, that they, they think it has to be difficult, it has to take a long time, you can't completely heal, and none of that is true anymore. Spiritual healing, how do you define that? What is to be healed spiritually? I think we have to bring spirituality in because we, we do have a spirit. We are a spirit and, um, you know, in a body and uh, in, in a culture. So um, our spirit actually guides, our spirit guides our mind, which guides our brain, which tells our body what to do. So uh, it's kind of in that order that, you know, whether you start at the bottom and go up to the spirit to heal or whether you start with the spiritual healing and, and basically it involves love, you know, learning to love, learning to receive love, uh, learning to be connected to your creator um, and divinity and learning to love yourself. How did you discover spiritual healing? I grew up in a family that um, were basically agnostic. They weren't atheists, but I did go to church as a child. But um, just uh, by the time I was a young adult, I was really seeking, um, you know, what's the meaning of life and is God real and that sort of thing. And so I just, I had some spiritual experiences through that, that I uh, did discover that God is real and God is love, not judgment. And I've just chosen to grow ever since then um, in in ways that bring truth, bring truth into my life and love. Um, and uh, I think if, you, if you're trying to live in truth and love, then you can't go wrong. Yes, I absolutely agree. That's a beautiful way of saying truth and love. Would you say that truth is something that each one of us find on our own, like our own truth? per se, the parts of ourselves that actually reject certain ideas or even the idea of God, the existence of God. So is that something that we find within those truths or do you believe in universal truths that no one can escape them? Right. Um, I think we, we do have to find truth within ourselves and, you know, have discernment about what truth really is. Um, but I also believe there are universal truths too. Um, such as love, such as forgiveness, such as compassion, such as hope, um, that is important to everyone. And so, uh, and I'm much more the I'm spiritual than I am religious. I like what 12-step uh, meetings say. Sometimes they'll say religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell and spirituality is for people who've already been there. And uh, I like that quote. Does it always take suffering to find our spirituality or to find the path to truth, to universal truth, or it takes something else. It 
could? Um, I I do think that uh, suffering has a purpose. Um, I I think that people who maybe have had life quote pretty easy for in a lot of ways sometimes haven't matured. They they haven't had to in a sense or they've chosen not to. So I think suffering can help us grow and mature. But I also think that we, you know, our creator doesn't intend for us to suffer our whole life or to stay stuck in suffering. He, he wants us, our creator wants us to heal and there is healing available through spirituality, through advanced therapy techniques, through um, energy techniques that are out there now. So basically you're saying that actually we can engage with healing and spirituality by the means of curiosity. Is that something yes. that could happen, right, Susan? Yes, absolutely. Um, yes, I think so. I think, you know, definitely because I think, you know, we look at children. Children are very curious. So that's a natural state of being uh, to explore and to be curious and to have awe, to have awe and wonder. And that's our natural state, too. When we heal, we have more of that. That's um, something that I have always been, uh, let's say, a realm that I, I love to live from, curiosity. But a lot of times it just stays at the intellectual level. Like I have conversations here and then I hear so many different kinds of healing modalities mm-hmm. and I never tried them. So do you think that's something that I'm not ready perhaps to engage with those, let's say, deep spiritual work? Or it's perhaps because I have already I'm already there, in a sense, have healed some of those parts in me. I'm just wondering now. Right, right. (laughs) Interesting question. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I think, you know, certain types of healing are going to be suited more to some people than to others, whether it's what they actually need that would be the best mechanism for healing or whether that's what they're comfortable with or they like. Um, I I think we can heal without, you know, necessarily formal help, although I do think there are some things such as post-traumatic stress from severe trauma that it's very difficult to heal on your own. I mean, certainly there are things that you can do that can be helpful, but I think to completely heal from that and put the trauma in the past, um, it often requires some some assistance. Is that because trauma changed the brain? I have heard that before. And then now we cannot trust ourselves? Yes, it does change the brain. However, with neuroscience and epigenetics and some of the newer brain science things that we know now, um, we can rewire our brain. There are ways we can change our brain to be healthier and to be whole again. So, uh, again, the damage does not have to be permanent that came from trauma. Yeah, right. That's neuroplasticity, I think they call it, right? Yeah, exactly, yes. It's always changing. How do you define, what is to be mentally healthy to you, Susan? Okay. Um, (laughs) Another open question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I... I think to be mentally healthy, um, we could say the person has balance in their life. Um, they have, I believe, have a sense of purpose, a, a sense of purpose that they feel dedicated to and enjoy, hopefully, whether it's work or family or, you know, whatever, art. Um, 
And uh, I think it involves growth, it, continued growth the rest of our lives. Um, and, I, and I think it very much involves uh, relationships because studies have shown that, you know, money we know is important and we need that to to live. But beyond uh, just a middle class living, um, more money doesn't make people happier. We know that it's the quality of our relationships. So I think a mentally health person has some relationships that are worthwhile to them that are meaningful and in which they both give and receive love. Is healing a practice, Susan, ongoing practice? Or we can say one day that we are actually healed, we arrived. Uh, great question. Um, I think it can be a practice such as uh, meditation or yoga or um, emotional freedom techniques, um, prayer, that sort of thing. I, I think that we can say at times, I am healed from that. I'm healed from that childhood abuse or I'm healed from that uh, painful divorce. I'm, you know, but I just believe we, we have the opportunity to grow and become more of who we're created to be the rest of our lives. And so that may involve some ongoing healing the rest of our lives. And I often wonder if there's a, a goal with all this. Does it ever end? <laughs> <laughs> this human experience of the suffering and the learning. Right. Uh, I, I, I don't actually know the answer to that. I, I believe, you know, um, I believe... I believed in heaven, therefore I believe that that uh, that's going to be a much better place than it has been here on earth. Um, and um, and I, I believe that even while we're here, I believe that people can attain higher levels of consciousness, let's put it that way, and which means they're living pretty frequently in a higher energy state. And those higher states are love and forgiveness and joy. Uh, instead of anger and fear and depression and and that sort of thing. So I, I think there is that kind of evolution. Um, what happens after our spirit leaves our body here, other than I do believe that, you know, heaven is there. Perhaps we grow there too. I love to believe in what you just said, that we can live in a state of love, peace, joy, and harmony here and this is our heaven. That would be heaven, that mental state. Although it doesn't kind of match the physical environment, the external. A lot of times it won't because we see imperfections everywhere uh, or the lack of that, right, of harmony. Right. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting idea, heaven. I think I used to think that way. And then for some reason, it it changed. It's like mm -hmm. I evolved to think that those states are the goal of my existence here to become more peaceful within and loving and compassionate. And then when this is, when the body is no longer here, those energies, they are still around and they might go back to a new body or perhaps to a new, a new realm because I don't mm -hmm. believe earth is the only place. Because I heard that Jesus, that's what happened to him, right? He was in the body and then he left the body, but it's still here. He's still helping a lot of people. From I agree with you on that. <laughs> yes, I think there are just a lot of possibilities, but I agree with you that uh, growing into or choosing to grow into higher states of, of consciousness, such as love, peace, joy, if we're living in those a good bit of the time, it can be kind of like heaven on earth. Yeah, right. At times, yeah. yes. It really, really resonates. The question is, 
can we live in that kind of heaven all the time, like 24-7, our entire life? Some people have said some, I guess, some enlightened beings or ascended masters who are still in the body, that they do experience this life in such a way. But I have never met them, so I don't know. And we are now within them, so we don't know. Nobody really knows. And then a question for you is, do you think it's possible, actually, to move from the state of belief to knowing? Do we really get to know these things? Yes. Uh, yes, I do. And in fact, uh, how, you know, how I know what I know, or when you know, you know, that's called meta, meta communication, meta, um, meta knowledge. So yes, I think that we can grow into a state of knowing this is truth. This, this is real. This is, um, and, and that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful way to be. For me, what comes to mind, it's trust. When I think about that knowing that you speak of, and it, it, perhaps the same knowing that I that I have experienced myself, it's uh, trusting whatever that's happening here within uh, my inner world and then the outside world, that every every path is leading me or this that I call me to love to that place of peace or to God, as you say. So. This trust involved in everything. We talked briefly uh, off record today again, but I would love to hear more from you about this component of trust and how important it is for healing and spirituality. Okay. Um, I agree with you. What you've said that uh, trust is just one of the most basic emotions and, and fields of energy that we can be in. Um, and we need that. We need to be able to trust something greater than ourselves, I believe, for guidance and hope. And we need to be able to trust ourselves as well for discernment and wisdom um, and curiosity. And then we need to be selective about what, what people we choose to trust in our life, because certainly not everyone is trustworthy. So we need to be selective about that. And a lot of that over time becomes a part of our intuition who's actually trustworthy or how much they're trustworthy or how much they're not. So, And that's another beautiful topic, intuition. How do we know the difference, Susan, when we are listening to the voice of intuition or we are listening to the voice of our own belief systems and the voice of other people, the energies of, of others around us? Mm-hmm. How do we know how to distinguish those voices? Oh, that's a complicated question. Yeah, I know. I would just, I, just for myself, yeah. I would just say experience. Over time, uh, you get better and better at realizing, am I listening to what other people say or want or their influence, or am I listening to my inner higher mm. self, my mm. higher self? Am I listening to a higher, you know, to God? Um, and I think with time and experience uh, and practice, we can become in tune with whichever that is. Uh, and, and then our trust grows. Our trust grows in God. Our trust grows in our own intuition. And my work as a therapist, I have a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, but a lot of my work is guided by intuition. Something will literally pop in my head that I wasn't thinking of and I'll go, oh, I need to ask this person that or I need to go with that. And it works. So. Yeah, I have heard before something very interesting that it's not just us trusting God, but also God trusting us in the sense of listening to Him or to mm-hmm. it. 
So that's another way. I never thought it that way, but kind of caught my attention and really made sense. And it still does, though. Does it make sense to you, Susan? <laughs> yes. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really resonated, that truth. What is your idea of God? Who, where, and what is God to you? Okay, big question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, each human being, each person has their own journey. And and my perceptions, I'm going to just share my perceptions, my beliefs of God, are that God gives us free will. So he, he gives us the choice of having our own journey and our own discovery. Um, and what my journey became was I chose to become a follower of Christ and um, to pray and to um, learn many of the scriptures that I felt were helpful and healing and that sort of thing. Um, and um, I, to see to see the beauty of the Creator everywhere, in nature, in other people, in animals, uh, in, in beautiful works of art or, or beautiful works of therapy and healing. Um, and so... And I also equate the God that I know with love, forgiveness, compassion, and guidance, and power. I believe that God not only has supernatural power, but He wants to empower us to be strong and to be powerful and to live in love, healthy, balanced love. Um, So that's my perception, and I am not forcing that on anyone. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, But that's what I've grown into, and it, it serves me well. Yeah, I love that. I love that you are able to express what you feel, the way, what you believe in, what you know to be true. That's uh, that's beautiful to hear. I remember being, when I was very little, my mother, I was born in Brazil, that's a mm-hmm. Catholic country, and she used to go to the church and take us, my brother, my sister, no, no, my sister and I, because my brother was not there yet. And then... Because it was very violent, dysfunctional environment. My father, my mother fights and, and, and she was very abusive. I remember kind of being confused because the, she was in the church <clears throat> listening to all those words and the energy was beautiful. But then she would get home and then she would become violent and aggressive. Wow. And that's what, for me, it's almost like I became, I think, traumatized of by course. religion. And then I didn't believe in anything anymore. I just started to look for other ways. I mean, it, I would look up the sky and look for mm-hmm. God, like in nature or, or yes. somewhere, but not in the church because my mother, she used to go to the church, but she was not a, a pure and loving person. Right. Have you heard that before, that story? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Many times, uh, similar stories. And, you know, uh, and I'm so sorry that you went through that because any time we have a parent or parents who are abusive in any way uh, or neglectful, we now know that that even if a child is not abused, if they're neglected emotionally, physically, etc., um, medically, whatever, um, particularly emotionally, that there's also very lasting damage and trauma. But again, they can heal, thank goodness. So, but yes, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of organized religion, uh, sometimes it's corrupt. Um, yes, you know, the right. churches are not right. always good, <laughs> you right. know, or, or the people running them are not. So I, I can certainly understand why people, um, often move away from the church or don't want to be involved in that. And, you know, the good news is God's not just in church or or the creator or our source. Um, divinity is not just in a church building. Would you say God's everywhere? Yes. Or not in any specific location, right? Yes, yes. I hear that uh, very often. I love that confirmation. <laughs> 
Thank you, Susan. So you wrote the book, Aftershocks, Healing PTSD from Sexual Assault and Childhood Sexual Abuse. So talk to me for a moment. My first question is about your intention and also the purpose of writing this book. Okay, thank you. Um, Yes, I have for many years worked with clients who had uh, their trauma had been sexual abuse as children or teenagers, often by people they knew, often by family members. Um, And so I have worked with helping them heal and I've gained a lot of knowledge in the last 15 years or so of techniques that are very advanced and help work with the subconscious mind and help them heal help them heal completely from those traumas. Um, And then a few years ago with the Me Now movement that was going on, all therapists started having an influx of clients who had been sexually assaulted as adults, not just as children maybe. But so people I think now felt they had permission to go seek help, that they were validated, oh, this happened to many people and they went to seek help. So I wrote the book and it was published in October of 2019. So just a few months before the pandemic. So, um, but my purpose is this book will not actually help people heal, but what it can do is number one, give them hope and give them direction and guidance to the type of therapies that can and will help them heal and to help them know um, that healing is possible. It does not have to take years. Uh, They need the right different kinds of techniques that can be helpful. Just plain talk therapy is not going to do it. So um, it's just to let people know, you know, there's still so many people, even in a different trauma area, military trauma, PTSD, there's so many people that still do not know people can get the right kinds of therapies and heal from that. So I just want to get the word out. That's really beautiful work. Thank you again for doing that, Susan. I know you are, you mentioned earlier, a licensed clinical social worker, therapist. Mm -hmm. Yes. What inspired you to become a therapist in the first place? (laughs) Okay. Um, I I think, you know, I had some difficulties in my life as a child. I was, uh, uh, my father was an Air Force pilot, so we moved a lot, a military brat. And that's just a certain lifestyle. You move every one or two years and you're constantly uprooting. Um, And uh, just different family problems and pressures. Um, I suffered some abuse as a child. And uh, so I, of course, was seeking my own healing and my own spiritual growth. And then through that, and I think the combination of moving so much and living in different places helped me to love a lot of different kinds of people and different cultures. And I just wanted to be able to help people somehow. And uh, it, it At first, when I got out of high school, I had no idea what I wanted to be, and I changed my major like six times in college and finally kind of fell into becoming becoming a a clinical social worker. But it is is the the profession for me. I love it. It's fascinating. I'm never bored. Uh, And I love the fact that we're just, you know, with the neuroscience, uh, we're, we're still discovering more ways to help people heal and methods that help people heal. And so it's a very exciting time. And um, I just felt that my journey was to reach out to others and help them and not only give compassion, but give them encouragement that they can heal and grow. I mean, what is not to love about it? <laughs> All that, the intention, the purpose, the inspiration. I know we talked about suffering before. A lot of times it comes from that. And I'm also sorry for you going to abuse. That's just a horrible thing. Sometimes I, I try not to label these things because I know 
It doesn't take away the horror of it, right. but I try to be very gentle and kind with everyone because I know that human beings, they, they do what they do for a reason too. They all have a story. If we mm -hmm. trace, if we're interested in knowing more why they became, the people they became, <clears throat> there's always a reason. That brings that compassion piece to life because I want to always keep my heart open to and not judge. So the types of therapy, I never heard it that way, uh, energy psychology therapies. Yeah. So you mentioned three techniques, EMDR, which I have heard, I actually have heard the two of them, EMDR and also emotional freedom technique. Yes. And there's another one I never heard, Susan, it's called the Psych-K. Yes, um, yeah, yes. So. Okay, that stands for psychology, kinesiology, and that is a technique that came about, uh, was actually given by, um, right now my mind went blank, <laughs> Rob uh, Williams. Rob Williams was a therapist who felt that this was just downloaded in his head. He said uh, he didn't come up with it. It was a divine inspiration. And, uh, and, and it's a technique that um, I like to use with people. It does not there's not a lot of in-depth emotional uh, experience with it so it's not you know there's not much suffering going through that work and yet and yet it's very effective and very efficient in helping people change negative beliefs that they have either about themselves or about life the world very quickly so that technique has helped it's an energy technique works with the subconscious mind although the person is awake and alert and it, uh, I've helped people heal from phobias with one or two sessions of that. Um, you know, fear of flying, fear of germs, um, uh, help people heal uh, negative self-esteem uh, with that. Um, and so that's a very, uh, it's, a, it's actually a fun technique to do. The EMDR, um, I love, and I've been doing that about 15 years. And I have such amazing uh, results with that. I just... The vast majority of people um, have good healing for that. And some have it, you know, in one or two sessions. And I'm always amazed at that. So, um, and then the in energy techniques of the tapping, the um, it, that also has been very, very powerful. And, and of course, people can do that on their own. That's a self-help tool. Um, so, that is a beautiful way for people to quickly decrease negative thoughts and feelings. It's awesome with anxiety, can greatly decrease that in five to 10 minutes. Um, and it also helps rewire the brain. So over time, if you use emotional freedom techniques or tapping, over time, you will rewire your brain to be more positive, to be less negative, to be less anxious. Yes. And I have heard of all of them except the cycle K, right? That's a, a new one for me. Mm -hmm. And it sounds fantastic. Because it doesn't take that reliving the trauma or reliving the stories, right? That, exactly, yeah. yes. I love that. Any techniques that, that has to do with that. What about, I know you mentioned in your book, hypnotherapy as well. Do you still try that? Do you still apply? Well, I, I actually, I'm not a certified hypnotherapist. Now, I have had hypnotherapy done to me several different times and found it quite remarkable. So I certainly advocate that for people. But um uh, so, no, I don't actually use that myself, but now I do, I, you know, we can self-hypnotize in the sense of meditation. I'm sure you're familiar with meditation, but the more I study effective meditation, the more I see the ability to help people heal with that. 
And I love Dr. Joe Dispenza. He's one of my favorite people who's written wonderful books that help you help you meditate and help you literally heal your mind, your body, and other things in your life. How do you bring uh, Christian spirituality into your work? Are they, let's say, integrated into these techniques that you just mentioned, or this a separate kind of guidance? Okay. Um, well, of course. Some of my clients want to see me because I am a Christian and Christian counselor. Some do not want that. So, you know, so that's not a part of what I would use with them. I respect and honor their beliefs or their requests. So, you know, I have clients that are atheists. I have some that are sort of searching for God. They're not sure what they believe or they may be very angry at God for things in their life. But um, so if the client wants that, then I, you know, bring that into the therapy. I do have certification in a specifically Christian technique, which is a three-hour ministry, and that's called Restoring the Foundations. And that is a three-hour prayer ministry um, that I've probably been involved in 25, 26 of those over a couple of years and see awesome healing results from that as well. So that can be looked up online, the Restoring the Foundations. Okay, so that's wonderful to know. Oh, great. So that will be on your website, right, Susan? Yes. I'll have the website link on your podcast profile too, and we'll mention at the end. Going back to sexual abuse, in your book, you, you actually disclose a lot of the statistics on sexual abuse. So talk to me about the statistics on sexual abuse in the United States, because I know you mentioned a lot of that in the book. Statistics are that um, probably one third of females and one fourth of male, if we look at adults right now in the USA, one third of females and one fourth of males were probably sexually abused as children. And that's about one fourth of the whole population. So it's a tremendous number of people that um, have lifelong difficulties from that, but that, again, can have healing. It's sad to hear, isn't it? When I read that, I paused for a moment and then I was sad for a while. Very sad. You know, um, uh, I think a lot of people aren't aware of how, how extensive that problem is. And then, I, of course, I interviewed a lot of people on that, too. So I had some insights and information. From your perspective, what is the main cause of this issue, because it is a big problem. What are the insights you have gained on the cause for the problem, the root cause? You know, I, I remember studies that showed that, say, for example, if a child is abused in the home, uh, 50% of the time alcohol and drugs are involved, but 50% of the time it's not. So I would say whoever the perpetrator or abuser is, they um, are they have a mental illness. And I'm not excusing their behavior, but they obviously have problems and, um, you know, are not thinking at all of what how that's going to affect the child. So it's a mental issue. It's mental and spiritual because obviously they're they're harming another human being and they're doing it intentionally. So, yes. I'm wondering how we can all together, besides having conversations like this and having these messages of hopefully everywhere online, that's my goal, have all these healing messages and spiritual messages everywhere. But what can we do, even personally, of course, healing ourselves and being spiritual, it's spiritualizing our lives is one way. But how can we pass that on in a more, uh, let's say, in a more effective way? Because I have people around me, my family members, who don't want to listen. They don't want to hear even anything I say. How do you deal with that? (laughs) 
That's a great question. Uh, you know, I think just adults be be more aware of what's happening with children. You, you know, your own children, your relatives' children, notice what's going on with them uh, if they're acting. You know, different, like sad, depressed, anxious, whatever. You know, ob- observe and try to find out what's going on because they could be being abused by someone, whether it's sexually, physically, emotionally, or whatever. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I think we need to be advocates for children. And anybody that's been wounded in that way, you know, go get healing, go get healing, and then you go and do something to help other survivors yourself. Yes. I also have heard that uh, people who have been abused sexually, they usually become abusers themselves. Is that something that you came across? Um, That's really a very small statistic. So a small percentage of, of people who were molested or, you know, raped, sexually abused as children, particularly a small percentage of them become abusers. Most people, most uh, survivors would say they would never harm a child. Uh, and, and, and I think it's typical, the ones who do go on to abuse, it's probably similar to say physical abuse, children who become physical abuse perpetrators who were, you know, experienced childhood physical abuse. They tend to identify with the, the one who seems to have the power in the situation, which is the abuser. So that's the route that they end up going psychologically. It seems like the possibilities, right? Like the brain to make choices. And then unfortunately that choice is made. But I'm glad to know that's not most of the people who go through sexual abuse or physical abuse. They don't choose that route. That's wonderful to know. Another thing that caught my attention in your book is that a lot of times the family members, they don't believe or they choose not to consider the possibility that a relative could do such a thing. I mean, I'm just kind of paraphrasing what you have written. And then uh, they discredit the child and tells them to stop to lie and all that, shame them. That also caught my attention a lot because I wonder what makes us mothers, because a lot of times it's the mother, to make that decision, to make that choice of almost like denying the truth. That's what really is. Right. Uh, what I have found, and it's it's heartbreaking, really, but it's more common for family members to not believe the child if they tell them they're being sexually abused by someone in the family, or uh, or even a coach or somebody like that. Uh, they t- they are either in denial. The 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 non-abusing person is either in denial, or they kind of know something might be going on, but they just don't feel like they can turn their whole life upside down, both financially, maybe emotionally, uh, shame, shame to them and the family. So they just sweep it under the rug and which is another betrayal of the child. And that is more common than when a child goes to tell someone them being believed and being rescued. So now we have two kind of sad situations, right? One is the abuse itself, and then the child's already hurt, and then she or he tries to look for help, and then that's denied too, that door's closed. Now they are left with confusion and fear. Yes, yes. Confusion, fear, and they feel utterly alone. Like, they feel that that they don't have anyone. Uh, What's amazing, though, is the resiliency of the human being because children come out of some of the most awful circumstances. And a lot of times it wasn't just once. It might have gone on for years. And yet they survive. So there's strength there. They've survived. And then they often go on and do something really wonderful with their lives. 
Yeah, I have witnessed that around me. Right? A lot of the people that I interview here, they've been through lots of um, traumatic situations and circumstances, and they became beautiful people, amazing human beings. Yes. Like yourself, Susan. Thank oh, you thank <laughs> for you. making that thank choice. You. Thank you. <laughs> Taking that path, the heart path. Mm-hmm. So we're almost at the end. I want to mention that your book, it's so extensive, so rich and generous. Thank it, you. There's so much information there. I love that you also mentioned the effects of sexual assault Identity, struggles, sleep disorders, eating disorders, addictive disorders, uh, relationship issues. There's so many. It affects us right. in so many ways, financial issues because of it. Absolutely. Abs- it's so sad sometimes. And, you know, uh, doing this work and hearing stories that, you know, is just at times are unbelievable um, of the pain that people have gone through and, and children and teens have gone through. Um, you know, it's a sacrifice in a sense to, to listen to that, right? Yes. <laughs> to hear that pain, to hear that pain. And because I have, of course, so much empathy and to hear that pain. And yet I know because God has helped me become a healer that I can help them. I know that they can heal and I know they have resilience because they have survived that. See, I love that commitment to the path of healing and spirituality. So that's your commitment. It, that strength comes from that because I was just imagining here, because I know you have, in your book, you have a lot of stories that I didn't read because I couldn't. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think I could. I'm not yeah. ready for it. <laughs> Thank you again for the commitment you have made and for the strength you have. The heart strength, right? The, the courage, really, because that's courage to me. So um, I have a few more questions for you. I want to mention again that uh, you also talk about forgiveness in your book. I love the part where you say forgiveness is a part of the healing of the victim and the family of the victim. So forgiveness is very important. You're very also generous with the technicalities behind it all. You also talk about the three components um, of our minds, conscious mind, the subconscious mind, the super conscious mind. And then you talk about the types of phenomenon that support the, the power of thoughts and beliefs, which has been actually, has been recognized by science. So you mentioned some of them, the placebo effect, because very much known, and then clinical hypnosis, that's where I found that. Yes. And then you have dissociative identity disorder too. There's a third one that's uh, was found in the dissociative identity disorder. So all that caught my attention because it's very technical, but it's part of that process of opening our minds, right, Susan, to these types of healing, the energy healing, the spiritual healing. It's beautiful to see the science behind it all too. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm thrilled that uh, back in 2004, I, I began to read and study quantum physics, you know, energy study of energy in terms of psychology, in terms of our thoughts, feelings, emotions, and how we can use that to change and heal. And it's just been phenomenal in my life, um, in in changing my own life and in helping other people to change their, their negative beliefs and to heal. And there's so much hope in it. There's so much hope in the in the energy systems that are coming out more and more in our world to help people heal from from anything really, not just emotional, psychological, but physical as well. That's a beautiful message around the theme of being open to the mm-hmm. possibilities, right, of healing. There's not just one way. There are so many ways. 
Yes. Few more questions for you, the ending questions. Before that, would you like to add anything that you left unsaid or read a passage in your book? Um, I think I, I, at the end of my book, I have a poem and it's actually, I'm not going to read it because it's, it's kind of long, but it's so beautiful. And it's written by Beth Moore, who is a Christian uh, teacher and, and uh, author and uh, a beautiful person. And so she's uh, kind of expressing feelings of a teenage girl who is being sexually abused in her life at that time and how desperate she feels and all the emotions she's going through. And then later on in life, how she's seeking God and how she finally feels she connects with God and finally definitely feels loved, loved and, and begins to heal. So it's just it's just a beautiful um, a, approach and looking at it. And that's the main thing is I want people to know uh, there is hope and there are definite uh, types of therapies and other modes of healing that can help people heal from trauma, no matter how severe it is, no matter how long ago it happened. I love the poems too, though. I started reading it and then uh, it got me into that sadness again. <laughs> Not that I'm running from it, but yeah, it's beautiful though. Yeah, I, I read the beginning because I love poems anyway. The kind of music, they just sang to me. But that's a beautiful story of healing. So it's a testament that we can heal as long as we are open. So my last question to you, Susan, let me ask you this one. I know we have said you have given us so many messages throughout the interview, but I'll ask, just to close, I'll ask you this one. If there is one message you wish everyone to take with them from this episode, what would that be? Just, I would say never give up. Never give up. Keep searching. Um, keep growing. And there is love all around us. And there are people that that want to love us. There are people that want our love. Um, and we can heal and grow into having that available to us. That's a beautiful message about knowing that love is all around us. Ah, with that in mind, I actually thought about having a room, a space in my house with a huge banner that says, you are loved. <laughs> it just Beautiful. Yeah, it came to me like a month ago. And I will do that because it's a beautiful reminder for all of us. Absolutely. We are loved. Yeah. Thank you so much again, Susan, for your presence here today, for the work you do for the beautiful message you deliver, this amazing commitment to healing yourself and others. It's just very precious to me. Thank you again Thank so much. you for, for the sacred work that you do very much. Thank you. The heart appreciates. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, products, services, and future projects, and your book? Uh one of the places is Psychology Today. Just put my name in where it says find the therapist, um, Susan Brunson in Houston, Texas. And I'm also in Alabama, both places some now. I only do teletherapy now since the last um, two and a half or three years. Um, I don't have an office of my own uh, other than at home. So, um, And that tells what I do and uh, a lot about my work. And um, the other one is my website, which you're going to, make available to people. And that talks about my book and about the different modes of healing. Mm, yes. And your website is the one I have here. Uh, let me take a look at Susan. What is your website? I so it's Aftershock Healing, all one word, Aftershock Healing at 
my mind just went blank. Oh, it's dot com, <laughs> right? Com, yes. Dot, yeah, it's aftershockhealing.com. I yes. have it. Okay, wonderful. So I have that link and I have the Psychology Today link too that has your profile. Wonderful. Thank you so much again and Thank we'll talk you. soon. Bye for now, Susan. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Susan Brunson and her work, please visit aftershockhealing.com and psychologytoday.com backslash US backslash therapists backslash Susan-Brunson-Katie-Texas backslash 429847. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.